For those of you who have been uh, following at home with our community Bible experience, congrats on finishing the book of Genesis in just two weeks. That's pretty good. If you're just hearing about this community Bible experience this morning, it's not too late to get caught up, or you could even just join us. Uh, we'll start tomorrow in the book of Exodus. We've got Bible. We've got those books uh, available for you in the Garden Court, and we would love to have you join us. As I said, tomorrow, we're going to start in Exodus 1, and we're going to read these words. Then Joseph died, and all of his brothers, and that whole generation but the Israelites were fruitful and prolific. They multiplied and they grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now a new king arose in Egypt who did not know Joseph. The history of God's people turns on these words. The king did not know Joseph. And we'll read that that king, that pharaoh, became exceedingly threatened by the proliferation of this people, so much so that he was concerned that they would rise up and, and cause problems, so he began to enslave them in order to keep them in check. By the time Moses shows up, the people of God are already thoroughly and totally enslaved, forced to make mud bricks in the baking sun. And Moses is sent by God to confront the Pharaoh and to plead with him to let my people go. When the Pharaoh refuses, God sends a plague that is commensurate with each one of those refusals. And our text today picks up after the declaration of the last and most severe plague, the death of every firstborn in the land, including animals. In this series already, we've already looked at how God creates and how God relates as we've gone through Genesis. And today I want to look at how God delivers. And I can't really tell you, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you right now, I really can't tell you how difficult this sermon has been to prepare for this week. Typically I begin writing, I actually begin typing when I've landed on an image or perhaps a story from my own life. If, if I can't find that, as some of you know, I'm going to go to a piece of art or a piece of literature. But when it comes to a theme like deliverance, I mean, sure I could talk about that one time that my car was dead on the side of the road and I wondered if I was going to be delivered by AAA, right? Or perhaps some minor struggle in my life that I've had that God maybe delivered me from, but that, that all seems pretty trite, doesn't it? I mean, we're talking about enslavement and, and, and blood being placed on the door frames and the death of firstborn children. Does it really work for me to talk about how I've had a bad head cold for the last three weeks and I'd like to be delivered from that? No, it doesn't let alone the fact that slavery still happens today or the fact that we just celebrated Martin Luther King Jr.'s holiday and I face the painful reality of slavery in our country and many of my African-American brothers and sisters who would say that they have not been fully delivered from that history and are still fighting for civil liberties. I feel foolish. I'm not really sure that I have anything to add to the conversation when it comes to deliverance, at least from my own story. And to be honest, I often feel this way. My life has been gloriously boring. No addictions, no family baggage, very little loss, very little crisis. Dare I say, not much from which to be delivered. I'm guessing some of you are the same way. Deliverance is a little bit of a tricky thing 
to define based on Scripture, deliver, to, to deliver in its most basic sense, it's just like it sounds, to bring from one place to another place. But it's more than that. Deliverance is actually part of a, a cognate tree, a, a huge web of words that when added together all have to do with God's redemptive work, God's salvation for his people. Deliverance is part of God's redemptive process for the people of Israel, God's salvation. There is no way that they could be fully redeemed as a people if they were in shackles in Egypt. Likewise, for us, we cannot be fully redeemed, cannot know the complete salvation work of God in us and for us if we remain enslaved because God's redemption is marked by freedom. So what does this passage have to do with those of us who have never been in chains? For someone like me, for whom enslavement is not part of my ethnic or cultural history, when all I've known and all that my ancestors have known is freedom. How can I know God as a deliverer? How can I live beside so many who have known bondage in their backgrounds of origin, maybe even in their lives, and still speak meaningfully about deliverance this morning? It was a tough week preparing for this. And then I met with somebody and things started to come together. My friend and I had lunch together, and we had an opportunity to talk about his experience of sobriety as he is early on in his experience with Alcoholics Anonymous. He gave me permission to speak about this experience on the condition that I make sure I note how smart and handsome he is, in case you were wondering. So I got to check in with my friend and, and check in on his progress to see how things are going for him. And if I felt insecure about preaching on deliverance before this lunch, during the lunch I was downright hopeless because I heard my friend talking and it was like watching someone loosening the chains of bondage before my eyes. He's early on in the process. It's going to take a lot of patience and a lot of care. But deliverance is happening. God is on the move. And I was swelling with love and, and pride and joy for my friend. And then a simple thought caught me, and it melted away my insecurities about talking with you this morning, and it's this. I was so encouraged by his developing story and what God is doing in his life as a deliverer that I felt like I was sort of experiencing deliverance with him. Do you know that emotion? I shouldn't have a lot of points of relation. I, I don't drink. I confess I've never been drunk in my life before. I'm not a better man than my friend. I'm a sinner, and I'm in need of God's mercy, and I'm not above needing that kind of help even in my life. So I realized as I'm hearing his story that it was as if I was experiencing some of that deliverance with him, and I would hope that he feels the same. So I began to process that kind of complex emotion later on at my desk, and I was drawn back to the text for this morning, and it began to come together, because when we read Exodus chapter 12, it almost seems like, like an interlude, like the dramatic dialogue in an action movie, because you can't just have constant action or it's not a good movie, right? You have to have some sort of story. That's kind of how this text feels as you're reading Exodus. It seems like an aside, an intrusion of legal and ritualistic details, a lot of details about this Passover meal, what is served and how it's served and how it's to be prepared and when it's to be prepared. But these details are not tedium. This is about the institution of, a, of an everlasting observance where God's love and deliverance will be remembered and reenacted until the very end of time. But here's the kicker. 
here's where it started to come together. The Passover feast isn't even for the slaves in Egypt. Yes, they're going to cover their door frames with blood in the evening, and in the morning they're going to awake and they're going to find wailing in the streets. Indeed, the angel of death is going to pass over their houses if they do this. But the preparatory meal isn't for them. Look at verse 14. This day shall be a day of remembrance for you. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall observe it as a perpetual ordinance. You see, the purpose of this Passover meal, this celebration, is clearly for the benefit of those generations who did not participate in the Exodus itself. God's act of deliverance isn't just for certain portions of his people. It's for all his people, and it transcends time and space. The Passover is for people who have never worn chains just as much as it is, is for those who have known them. I was processing some of this with Pastor Joy midweek this week, struggling for an angle into this text, and she said something that was really helpful to me. She said, maybe you feel like, like a child of the Exodus, like the smallest child of that process, who was part of the story, but you didn't really experience it. You didn't really experience it. It's your story, but you didn't really live it. Yes, exactly. That's how I feel. And guess what? There are many Jews today who celebrate the Passover meal very similar to the way that it was laid out in Exodus 12, but they've never known chains. But it's still their story. And the deliverance that this story tells is theirs as well. So my emotions seem to make sense. My friend has been bound, and as I watch those shackles being loosened, I share in his deliverance. We're the people of God. We are the people of God. And we might not celebrate the Passover feast with our Jewish friends now in the way that they do it, but because of the redemptive deliverance work of Jesus Christ, he brought both Jew and Gentile together through the ministry of reconciliation and we own this Passover story and this exodus as well. You don't need to tell that to our African-American friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ, because the exodus is central to their theology. They own this story and the deliverance it professes. We sang, um, uh, let my people go this morning in the first service, traditional uh, spiritual. That's not just something they sing in a morning where they're talking about the exodus. It's part of their theology. I think we ought to follow their lead. So I want to invite you to enter this story with me. And I want you to think about the people of God in Exodus. As you enter that story, tell me, are you the one in bondage? The one who desperately desires to find freedom from things like addiction or oppression or abuse or poor behavior temptation, or sin. Maybe you're bound to something like fear or anxiety or generational dysfunction in your family or poor self-worth. Or maybe you're like me and you're more of a child of the Exodus, one who doesn't know years of chains but celebrates and remembers the deliverance of God nonetheless and knows deep down that this is your story and that you too stand in need of deliverance. However it is that you enter the story, I have a few observations from the text that I would like to point out to you. The first is this. Deliverance demands that we reorder everything. 
God's deliverance demands that we reorder everything. Look at verse 2. This month shall mark for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Our text begins by God saying, in essence, this event is going to require a brand new calendar. Throw the old one away. It's a new year. It's a clean slate. The deliverance from Egypt is a new beginning for the people of God. And from now on, every time they glance at a calendar, it's going to be a living reminder that this is a historical fact that God delivers. It's a new beginning. God is recreating his people. I think of my friend and his process of deliverance. He has a completely new calendar, doesn't he? His calendar is no longer centered around the weekend. It is centered around how long he's been sober. Talk to anyone who's been through AA. And they will tell you the beginning of a new calendar for them, won't they? They'll tell you when their exodus started and where they are now. And depending on where they are in the steps of that process, they can tell you where God is working in the midst of it all. So know this. If we want to know deliverance, or if we want to live in deliverance, we need to reorder everything. It's going to mess up our priorities, our rhythms, our regular ways of life, some of our relationships, perhaps. And you're certainly going to have to reorder your life around Jesus Christ. As my friend says, my number one job every day is my sobriety. That's my number one job. That's a reordering of life. And if you're not willing to reorder your life, you can't know God's full freedom. Second observation that I want to make from the text is that deliverance is a community effort. Look at verse 3. Tell the whole congregation of Israel... That on the 10th of this month, they're to take a lamb for each family, a lamb for each household. You see, the people of Israel are delivered together. And God uses a human agent to bring about his deliverance. In fact, nearly every occurrence of deliverance that happens in Scripture, God uses human agency to do his work. He uses humans to bring about his deliverance. What should that tell us? It tells us that God's deliverance cannot happen for any of us as a personal internal, private, me and God sort of arrangement. It doesn't work that way. We need each other to have freedom. We need companions who are going to walk alongside us, who are going to take this exodus with us. And we need God's human agents to lead us and convict us and exhort us and liberate us and act on our behalf. My friend talked openly about the new routines for his day, which basically boil down to his meetings and phone conversations with peers who are journeying along with him at a similar stage of life, and of course, a phone call to his sponsor, who is further down the road and can speak truth into his life. Isn't that amazing? AA totally has this right. Isn't it evidence that deliverance is a community effort? You cannot do AA on your own. You can't read a book and do it at home. It doesn't work that way. And this is where I get excited about God's deliverance because this is a place that I can really enter in and be vital, a vital part of this. I can, I can be a companion on someone else's exodus journey. I can be a voice of love and truth. Because I haven't known significant chains in my life, I can take part in God's deliverance for others while always knowing that a time will come and most likely will come in my life when I need them to do the same for me. Third observation that I want to make is that deliverance is something that can be claimed in advance. 
Verses 26 and 27, and when your children ask you, what do you mean by this observance, you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, for he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt, and he struck down the Egyptians, but spared our houses. I'm not sure how I've missed it all these years of, of reading the Bible, how I've overlooked a pretty simple fact. Maybe you got it the first time, I didn't the first hundred, whatever it is. These Israelites had a Passover meal while they were still slaves. Did you think about that? The first Passover meal happened while they were still enslaved. A meal of celebration and commemoration and deliverance before the deliverance of God actually came to pass. That's pretty bold, isn't it? Especially if you actually read the story. Pharaoh has said no ten times to their freedom. Why should this plague change his mind? He tends to be a pretty stubborn person in Scripture. But God's deliverance is a promise and a reality. Remember that the people of God, even after they had been delivered, had to wander around for 40 years in the wilderness. Deliverance is a process, but it's not a process in which we have to wonder if God is going to deliver. We can claim it. I've been claiming deliverance for my friend for a while. I tell him that I know that God is at work, that God has him, that God is going to bring him through. I believe that and I claim that for him. And yes, it's a process. It's going to take a while. But we can claim deliverance before it even happens. Your process is likely to be long as well. But I think today is a great day to lay claim to God as a deliverer in your life. To rest in that promise and to celebrate what God has already done and what he's going to do. So, do I have a great story of deliverance? Me, personally. No. I really don't. But I can speak about deliverance because I know what God has always done for his people and I know what Christ has done for me. And I know that my exodus is not personal and neither is yours. Our stories are bound together. Maybe, maybe you're like me with an opportunity to experience deliverance with or through others knowing that I'm going to need them in the future. Maybe you wear chains this morning and you know it. You know what binds you. Maybe you know that you, you don't feel free, but you're not really sure why. Well, either way, I think it's time for a new beginning, a new calendar to turn over, a reordered reality. You need people. I think you need these people. I think that's what church is all about. You need to claim, lay claim to God's deliverance and then begin to move towards it this day. We are... The children of God. We're the people of God. And our story is one of deliverance. The God who brought our ancient ancestors out of slavery still breaks chains today. The God who parted the Red Sea still makes a way today. The God who came to us in the person of Jesus Christ to deliver us from the weight of sin, taking that weight upon his shoulders upon the cross still comes to us and lightens the load. Our God delivers. He delivers his people. Praise to him. The God of redemption, the God of deliverance, the God of the exodus. Let's pray. Lord, I lift to you my story and the story of my brothers and sisters gathered here. 
Lord, I thank you that you have given me a life free of physical chains, significant spiritual chains. I lift up my friends here today who do know chains, who feel bound, who wear them whether they know it or they don't. Lord, we thank you that our stories are bound together in you. Lord, we thank you that we can lay claim to your deliverance before it even happens because that is your very character and you are always working on behalf of your people. We open ourselves up so that you might reorder our lives, change our very calendars of life. That you might bring us together with other people of God so that we might help one another in exodus together. Lord, thank you that we can rest in your promises that you will break chains and bring us through. We remember, we reenact, and we give thanks.